Song of Songs 4.12. And I'm reading it in the Passion Translation because I really like how he translated this because um, he really gets it. Like he understands what this book is actually about. So Song of Songs is a mystical book. It's the most, and when I say mystical, I mean like um, a lot of hidden meaning. <laughs> That's the plain way of saying it. Um, or like we teach the sowed. There's a lot of secret uh, mysteries in, in involved in this because the Song of Songs is is the song. So you have the Song of the Universe, which is a which is a Hebraic thing where there's a song for every creature, everything that God's made. Every one of them has a song. There's a song that they sing, and it's the song of the universe. So you have this, are the songs of, of creation. So you have all these different songs. There's even songs of the stars. There's songs of the animals. Dogs have a song. Plants have a song. Every, everything has a song. Now, a song is a frequency. Okay, so they all have a frequency too. Um, so, and I was even reading the other day, um, just in a regular scientific journal, um, they are actually able to hear a song coming from plants. Um, it's in a certain, it's not a frequency that we can hear audibly, but it is, it's, it's in a, a higher frequency that is higher than the human hearing. But they have uh, devices now that can hear this. So what they found is that, um, that they sing more when they need something. They actually make sound, a frequency, a song. Um, and so, an so animals have a frequency, plants have, even plants themselves have a frequency. So that's in a, like a scientific way of saying it. But then there's also in the Hebraic uh, teachings and the teachings of, of you know, um, the ancient, the ancient uh, teachings, you can see uh, that the um, plants have a song, the animals have a song. But in all of these songs, and I have the, the book here, we could we could actually read through it. And it's part of a prayer. You know, you just say it and pray it every day. Um, but but man didn't have a song. Well, that's because man's song is the song of songs in the Bible. Um, it's a higher song than all the other songs because this is the song of Christ and his church or his ecclesia, the ones that have been called out as sons of God revealed on the earth. So this song is very... Interesting, because if you read Song of Songs, a lot of people read it and they go, oh, it's kind of embarrassing. It's about a husband and a wife. And, you know, some things are a little, you know, kind of not to be spoken of in, in public, you know, or whatever. And it's not that. It's really about this relationship that Jesus has with us. And, um, and you'll see in here, there's a lot of mentions of the garden, you know. And, and this relationship that we have. So our relationship with God is not a business transaction. And that's the reason why, you know, in the scripture, it talks about it as a marriage. Marriage is not a business trend. Now, in some places it is, you know, obviously, you know, a pre a preset, you know, marriage, you know, between these two families. So there's a more power, you know, the kings and all those, the British royalty and all that, they, they kind of have prepared marriages. But in reality, um, marriage and, and being married to a person comes primarily from love, right? That's, that's the reason the two shall become one, right? So what do we have in Christ is that the, the two shall become one, right? Christ and the church, one. It's a mystery. And the Apostle Paul says that, mysterion. I call it mystical mystery, right? It's a mystery I'm talking about. And, and if you read in the, in the New Testament, Paul talks about the mystery of um, of the husband and wife, the, that mystery. And then, and then he said, well, but it's Christ in the church. The two shall become one. This is a mystery, right? So, so if you look at this, it is, it is a profound mystery, <laughs> okay? It's profound. It's not just a little mystery. In other words, this is one of those topics that you could study forever and ever. Like it really has no, there's no limit to it. And there's so many aspects and facets to this relationship that we have with him. But one of the reasons why Song of Songs is so good to kind of ponder a little bit is because when we're reading the Bible, a lot of times we look at the Bible through a lens of works. And what do I mean by that? What can I do next for you, God? I love you. What can I do for you? What should I do for you? What kind of works are you expecting of me so that you know that I love you? Very, got to be very careful with that stuff. Very careful. We understand that there are things that we do out of love, but what is the point of it all? 
And what will end up happening is, is we end up having, instead of having a relationship with God, we have a relationship with works. And everything that we think God is, is actually just works that we created for God. And so sometimes when you take people's works away, they get very angry with you because they say, you took God from me. And I'd be like, well, that was never God. That was just you working. You know, is it good to do things for God? Well, of course it is. But is that your relationship with him? No. And so when you look at Song of Songs, you see this kind of um, back and forth between, you know, the, the husband and the, and the wife-to-be, you know, and you see this kind of where you're learning about each other, what each other likes, what each other doesn't like. It's relational. So everything we have in God is based on relationship, not based on the works that we're doing, the things that we do for him. It's easy to make things works, but it shouldn't be. It should be based on love. So there's a lot in here. So I want to show you Song of Songs, and this is 4, verse 12. And I like to read it in the Passion Translation just because I think he really gets it. And when he translated it into English, he really kind of showed you what this is all about. So in uh, Song of Songs 4.12, it says, My darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart. So, so see this as Christ in the church. Don't see it as some natural thing. See it as a, as a spiritual thing. And as a matter of fact, this book is not about marriage. It's not. It's not about a husband and wife. It's about Christ in the church. It is a very high-level book in regards to um, the mysteries of, of Christ. So my darling bride, that's, that's Christ speaking to us. My private paradise where? Fastened to my heart. Do you know that we're fastened to his heart? God doesn't, it, we're not like, not only are we not a side thought for him, we're like one heart with him. When he sees us suffer, he suffers. That's pretty powerful. Like immediately, he's suffering too. <laughs> like he is no hesitation, none, zero, zero hesitation. He is all in with us. He is all in with us. He comforts us in the worst times. He's just right there, boom, immediately. We are one with him. Like a husband and a wife would be one. There's no hesitation there. You are in relationship with him. You are in covenant relationship with him. It's what it's all about. That's what this is all about. It's never been about some transactional salvation. Did you pray a prayer with me? No. Did you say the catechism or whatever? You know, whatever the Catholic Church has. All of them have their own little worky things that they do. Okay? The Protestants have their own, right? But it's not about any of that. You know, we get insecure in our relationships sometimes, don't we? We get insecure. And what do we do? We fabricate things that didn't never need to be there. The relationship that we have with God is based on his love for us. And he was very clear. He said, you actually didn't like pursue me at all. <laughs> He's like, you didn't. And, and in Isaiah, it says like everyone, no one pursued God, like no one, like it was a complete loss. So he pursued us and he won us back. And the reason that he won us, he won our hearts because he, he showed us who we really were. Because the only reason that we had separated ourselves in our own mind from God is because it went back to the garden. You know, where Adam forgot who he was. Eve forgot who she was. Where am I? Get away from me. You're scary, God. We used to walk in the garden with him. So he realized, and he knew this from the beginning, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we know this, that he already knew that this was going to happen, this identity crisis that man had. And it was a complete identity crisis. We didn't know who we were. We had no idea. Who are we? You know, and then we, we, can you imagine how shocking that would be, honestly? And I've talked about this before, but can you imagine how shocking that would be? Like, I'm naked. Like, oh my goodness. How did that happen? You know, they ate that fruit and boom, they're like completely uncovered. And shame, just total shame. They'd never had shame before. They didn't even know what shame was. All of this was really odd to them. And so they're running on hiding away. And God knew everything that was going to happen and he knew what happened, but he went after them. You see, People are like, oh, God can't look on sin. God can look at whatever he wants to. He doesn't have any problem looking on sin, but he knows what sin does. Sin hurts him because it hurts us. It doesn't hurt him directly. It has nothing to do with him. It has to do with us. 
You see, this definition of what God likes and doesn't like has a lot to do with, you have to listen to what he says if you want to know what he likes. You can't just make this up, right? So, so what, what Jesus is saying here is, my darling bride, my private paradise, fasten to my heart. This is where we are. We are. When I say I'm in him and he's in me, this is what that means. So in the heart, so you have cardiognosis, which is what we call heart knowledge. He knows everything about us, but not only that, he knows it outside of time. So he actually encapsulates the entire book, which is us, written inside of time. So he knows before, after, you know, during. He knows all of it, past, present, future. So he's holding us in his heart outside of time. So the whole book is right there. So not only he's prepared already to love us for the thing in the future, and he loved us in the past. So people talk, I'll mention this today. So people talk about soul, what's the word? Soul ministry, I guess you could call it, which is ministering to people who have um, experiences in their life, emotionally, physically, or otherwise, that are hurtful, and kind of going back in time with them in some type of counseling to minister to them and pray for them over those past experiences. This is a very big thing right now. Um, I've talked to people recently about it. They do big conferences on it. Sometimes they mix a little psychology in it, psychiatry in it, different things like that. Uh, they don't do the medication because it's a Christian type of thing, but they'll do kind of the mental exercise. What do I think about that? That's a great question. So I think that you can go so far with some of that, okay? But without recognizing your spirit, it's going to be very limited in success. There'll be a limited success. So there could be some successes, and there is some successes with psychiatry and psychology, but it'll be a little more limited. And one of the main reasons why is the foundation for psychology and psychiatry is anti-God. And because of that, it does not recognize God, neither does it recognize that human beings are spirit beings. And as spirit beings, our most um, fruitful and prosperous and natural position is in oneness with God and in acknowledgement of our oneness with him. So when we acknowledge Christ in us and we acknowledge our oneness with God, a lot of these psychiatric issues that people are trying to deal with in the soul are automatically gone because the spirit has been recognized and put into its proper place, because our spirit is one spirit with the Lord. But most of the time, people are ministering to the soul only. And without the spirit, it will become either limited or short-lived. But there could be some degree of success, and some of them, there's no success at all. It's like completely, you know, people who are demonized or whatever, completely not successful. It won't work. You have to cast out the demon. So because of that, I believe that the Lord wants us to understand his love for us first. Before you start dealing with issues in people's lives, deal with the fact that you are loved by him completely and without any strings attached. He is not looking for anything from you. As a matter of fact, when it said that he loved us first and he loved us when we were the worst in our whole lives. So whatever that time was, and you're like, I think I was the worst then, that's when he loved us the most. That's the way. So he wants us to know this so that we don't keep trying to dig our claw our way back up to God. He, he like swallowed us up and there's no resisting him. <laughs> you can't resist God. He just takes you, but he's love. And what is he consuming us in? He's consuming us in his love. This is the reason why when a person doesn't know God, know of him, and they see God, what do they see? Fire. It's scary to them. Because the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Well, what's that fire all about? Well, that fire is the fire of his love. What does fire do? It burns a thing down to its base element. When there's stuff that isn't right, the fire of God's love burns in us and it burns it up until whatever was not God is gone. The Bible says, calls it wood, hay, and stubble. And what remains is the precious jewels. You can't burn jewels in that fire. These jewels are us. These are the giftings and the things that God has given us that are in our life that he says, look, look at what I've done. Look what I made. This other stuff that you were so worried about. Let me just take that. I will consume it in the fire of my love and you will never have to see it again. This does not exist in me. This does not exist. But without God, we're afraid because we don't know him. So that fire to us is a fire that would consume 
who we are. But in reality, it's consuming the falseness of a false identity apart from him. The fire of God's love consumes us in his love. To, and what remains now is the purity of who he has made us to be, which is a living, breathing spirit that speaks God's words, that walks in union with Christ, not someone who is confused or walking around doing this and that or feeling insecure because that insecurity came from the garden. Just so you know, that's where that came from. You ever meet people and they're like overconfident and you're like, why are they so confident? And you're like, they shouldn't be. But you know what? I've learned. Let them be confident. Be confident in who you are. Don't be proud. But our confidence comes from God. Jesus was extremely confident. You might look at how confident Jesus was. He's talking to Pilate. And then he's not talking to Pilate because he didn't want to open his mouth because that was fulfilling the scripture. That's Jesus. Very confident. Why is that? Because he's got the word from up on high. When you get the word, you know, you know. I don't have to, you, you could have the whole world like accusing you, which Jesus did have. And you're like, oh, I'm confident my father will save me. That's what he said. The whole world is against you. Literally. <laughs> and he goes, my father will save me. He will not abandon me. He will not leave me in the grave. He will raise me up. He's confident as he can be. Where's that come from? relationship relationship words like this when you hear god speaking to you and he says this about you about you personally in me personally you know and remember this is not like um natural this is spiritual right so bride can be a guy because it's it's spiritual connection here we use these words so that we have an understanding of the level that he's talking about Okay, but it is, it does have other similarities too. My darling bride, my private paradise fastened to my heart. God likes us. If you call someone your private paradise, but, but it's a private paradise. <laughs> that means that's personal between you and God, that he loves you personally. It's private. Don't let men come in and tell you what your relationship with God should be like. That's not true. Now, should you look at the word of God? Like some people have some weird ideas that are not in the scripture. Well, maybe you should talk to the Lord about that and see if that's true about God. Because people think God is very judgmental of them and says terrible things about them all the time. I've heard, I've heard prophets say this, like prophets, like they're called prophets. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they have these guys and they're prophets. And, they, and a lot of times they hit it, like they're right. Like that is, to me, I'm like, yeah, I've heard the Lord speak similar things. But then sometimes they say the most terrible things that God tells them. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, it's almost like a false God that's out there that's like tries to impersonate Jesus. And he's just so mean. And he hurts people's feelings, like big time. And I'm thinking to myself, I listened to Jesus. Now, Jesus said very clearly to the Pharisees that you are like your father, the devil. He said that to them. Well, that might have hurt their feelings, okay? But there was a point to it. Some of the stuff I hear, there's no point to some of this stuff. They're just berating the people. And I'm like, God does not berate you like that. Every, everything that he gives you gives you a way out. He may be very clear about a certain thing because he does that with me. He's like, like I'm like, you know, like a cat would kind of, you know, like little cats, they go and they bring like dead birds and stuff to you. And you're like, you're coming to God with a dead bird. You're like, look, God. And he's like, mm, I don't think so. That's kind of how he is with me. That makes sense. You don't feel bad about who you are. You know who you are. But you know that that kind of stuff is just, yeah, I don't need your bird. You know, I'm good. So, so anyway, so as we're like growing in our relationship with God, he is going to speak to our hearts. Okay, think about this. God speaks to us in, the, in our hearts, on the inside, inside. On the outside are other spirits. <laughs> okay, on the outside, because remember, his garden is a private garden fastened to your heart. On the inside, the other stuff is on the outside. He knows about the stuff on the outside. But your relationship with him is very close, very, very close, super close. And nobody really gets in there, just you and him. That's it. Now, you can see your garden. Okay? It's possible to see. Because, you know, if you look in the scripture, you'll see that there are different people who have seen spiritual things, visions, we call them. Okay? Now, your garden is a real place. 
And God can show you that garden in your own heart. And how is that even possible? Because it's a real place. Anything that's real, you can see. And so you can start by looking in that garden, and there's Jesus there, right? So look, my darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart. If you're fastened to God's heart, no one is going to unfasten you. You're stuck. You're, you're Jesus Siamese twin, okay? It's you, it's Jesus. You're, you're attached together. Look at the rest. A secret spring are you that no one else can have. My bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have you. Isn't that amazing? This is us and him. A secret spring are you that no one else can have. A bubbling fountain. Well, what are, what's in fountains? Water. What, are wa- what is water? The spirit. You have within you an endless supply of the spirit. Why is that? Because it's a river. <laughs> it comes from the river. Deep underneath. And it bubbles up into a spring. So this is all really what happens. But these are the words that we use to describe it because we live in this world. So we use words from this world to describe spiritual things that are happening inside of you. Okay? So springs are used. Why is that? Because we understand that springs don't run out, don't dry out, right? It doesn't, it's in an endless, it's bubbling, which means it's alive. It's, it's full of life. So your spirit within you is full of life. This is the reason why your body is alive. <laughs> right? If your spirit was not alive, your body would not be alive. Because we know that if your spirit leaves your body, what happens to your body? It falls on the ground and you're gone, right? And it's your spirit and soul together. If you ever see a person that has died, you can look. They are not asleep. That is not what they look like when they're asleep. Their spirit and their soul has left their body. The spirit is bringing life to the body. An endless supply of the Spirit. But you are one Spirit with the Lord. Who gives your heart the beat that it has? Well, science has no idea. (laughs) We shock people to get that heart going again. But they don't know why it just keeps going. It's like an everlasting battery. But why is it going? Because God is causing your heart to beat. (laughs) That's why he can't leave you. If he left you, you would be gone. You would literally disappear. It would be like you never existed. He sustains the whole of creation in himself. The whole thing is sustained by him. So, But it's not just sustained by him. He also loves us because this is what he's telling us to our heart. So we have this spring, okay? So can science see the spring? It can't. It's hidden. This is very clear. This, this is a secret spring, a secret garden, a hidden garden. We're talking about, so like I always like to say you have three dimensions and then whoop, you have a fourth dimension that you cannot see. And if you just turn the whole thing that way, now there's your fourth dimension. But no one can do that in the natural. You can do it in the spirit, but you can't do it in the natural. And there's only really one right way to do it in the spirit, and that's through Christ. People try. They use other things. Not cool, though. Shouldn't do that. Okay? That gets scary and weird. So what we do is we do this through the love of God within our own heart. We go in. We think about his love. We ponder his love. We think about scriptures that talk about us like this, my darling bride, my private paradise, fasten my heart. We think about those kind of scriptures, how God loves us, and then we just think about his love, and we allow him to love us the way he loves us. And then everything else that's not him just slowly starts to flutter away. You know, all the little, like, Jean Guyon used to say, all the little birds that are flying over your head, they'll eventually just settle down, right? Because now we've kind of brought ourselves under the knowledge of God and into this private paradise in our heart in him, okay? This is the place, okay? Now, what a perfect partner to me now that I have you. This is what he's saying about us. These are God's words to us. That's what this book is about. This is, and so there's so much in here and depth and things that we could get into, but I'm not, I'm just going to kind of do a little bit today. I just kind of felt led to do a little bit of this. This is our experience with Jesus being in the garden with him. You got to leave behind the works. You got to leave that old stuff behind. It's old. Yuck. We don't need that, right? Now look at verse 13. Your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. Why am I bringing forth fruit? You got to work hard for God. No, you're 
naturally bringing forth fruit because you're naturally a fruit-bearing being. <laughs> that is what you do. I don't have to go out and convince my mango tree to make mangoes every year, right? It just does it because it's a mango tree. See, mango trees know they're mango trees. Humans did not know that they were sons of God. And so they acted super weird. And that was the problem. And then the sin made it even more weird. And then they started to die. You're not supposed to die. That's why death is so weird. You're not supposed to die. You're made an eternal being. You're like your father in heaven. <laughs> so there was some weirdness. There was some weirdness that was going on on the earth. People were killing people. That's super weird. And then their blood would cry out to God. That was weird too because it was a lot of shed blood. And that blood has a voice. It has a frequency. And it came up all the way into heaven. But you know what's amazing is in the book of Hebrews, it says that the blood of Jesus speaks greater than the blood of Abel. A greater thing. In other words, as bad as it was with Cain and Abel, you know, when Cain killed Abel, that was not cool, right? And his blood rose up. Because if you look in Genesis, you'll see the blood spoke. It had a frequency. It said, justice, justice. I was killed unjustly. I, de I demand justice for this killing. Isn't that the frequency that you hear? Because think about all the bad things. Oh, someone ripped me off. That's great. Oh, that person's dead. That's blood. That blood is strong. You know, you could have got ripped off, and that's a pain in the butt, but you get killed, you're game over, you know? So that's like a really high-level frequency on the earth that demands justice. Blood for blood, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It wants justice. And so what was God's answer? He answered it in the cross. He said everything, every, every claim you have, of justice for what was done to you, including and up to the blood of Abel, which is the first murder, I will take the punishment on my own self, and you can call this paid in full. That's very powerful. But that's what Jesus did for us. He took the claim, and it's a rightful claim. Cain should never have killed Abel. And, and God told him, he's like, you're super confused. <laughs> That's what he told him. He goes, you have no idea what you're doing. You were super confused. He goes, I would have accepted your offering. Because, you know, he was upset about his offering. He said, I would have accepted your offering. You just gave it wrong that time. Well, if you would have just fixed this little thing, it was a little problem. But instead, you were filled with jealousy and you killed your brother. He's like, you have to get cast out now. And now his blood is speaking in all creation. Now I've got this frequency going on in heaven and I hear from your brother. Because you killed him. You know? But he had an answer. It was Jesus. Jesus was always the answer because God knew that was going to happen. <laughs> he knew that was going to happen. He knew that Cain was going to kill Abel. He knew that. And he knew that murder was going to be the way on the earth because men were super confused as to who they were. And so what is the thing they're going to do? It's like it's blood spilt for nothing. It's nothing. There's no substitution. There's nothing there. It's just because of jealousy, greed, all the lower realm things. And you know who taught him to kill were these evil spirits. I mean, what a bizarre thing, you know? The life is in the blood. They spill the blood. They spill the life. You know, so we still have this infatuation in our society with death and killing and murder and destruction and all that because it's all just lower realm stuff. But in the spirit, in Christ, you can see it for what it is. It's nothing that you have any part in. But if you ever see blood spilt, you know, like we have wars right now. We have this war in Ukraine. Blood is being spilt there. Why? So that people can launder money. It's very obvious that's what they're doing. They're laundering billions and billions of dollars, and it's probably multiple nations together trying to launder all this money through that nation. And what is it resulting in? Russian families are killing each other. It's like a civil war. Ukraine is not a foreign country to Russia. That's their brothers and sisters and nephews and uncles and things like that. And they're fighting each other. And the American countries and the, the American country and the and the European countries are using that war to profit off of it. And they're profiting off the blood of people, which is literally in the lower realm. That's the highest level of trading is is trading in blood. Just so you know, like in the in the and this is not a, a godly thing. This is a demonic trading floor. 
they trade in blood. So, the, so they can trade in like embezzlement and, you know, they could trade in like uh, weird, like terrible types of things they're selling and things like that, drugs or whatever. But then if they trade in blood, then they make the biggest money because the evil spirits hate man. So they pay the biggest if you kill. <laughs> that's how it works. I'm just, show, I'm just saying like, that's how it works. So this is like, not the garden. This has nothing to do with God. This is man who's super powerful trading with beings that they should not be trading with because they're super confused as to who they are. What we should be doing is using all of this stuff that God's given us and bring it out into the earth. Now, people have kind of this idea apart from God, and they're trying to do it, and it's not working out as good as they want it to, but it is happening, and that's coming from God. Should we be helping people who need water in foreign countries? I'd say yes, that's probably one of the higher level things you should do. Make sure people are living and comfortable and having food and shelter and water. Excellent, right? Should we be starting a war so that we can funnel money through different things with arms and stuff? Probably not a great idea. You know, should we be creating fentanyl so that we can put it over the border and everybody can make money and it kills everyone? Probably not a great idea. Again, look what the end result is, death, right? It's because the highest level of trading is in blood. And, and even in Revelation, if you see this, you'll see that they talk about how um, the people were trading people. <laughs> and trading people is the worst. Okay. But anyway, that has nothing to do with our life in Christ, by the way. That is a confused population doing weird things that have nothing to do with God. And they are connected with beings that don't like God or like us. But they pay. <laughs> And the greed is for them because they see themselves so separated from God that temporary money to them is worth more than anything else. And in reality, they don't own that money because if they did, when they died, they would take it with them. But because they leave it here, it ultimately means that the money was not ever theirs in the first place. They were just watching it. So they want to caretake more money. Good job. You still don't take it with you. Okay. So anyway, that's just a side thing because I want to show us the difference between my private life and private paradise in Christ versus apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, it gets pretty messy. But God has an answer to all of it, including shed blood, including people who trade in blood, because that is the kind of stuff that causes um, more separation mentality. Because now people are living in this world of death and destruction and they can't see God at all. So as bad as it was at the beginning, now they've started trading with these evil spirits in the lower realm, and now they're in this mess that they are. But I will tell you one word from God, one anointed word from God changes everything. So as powerful as we think the things of the earth are, they're nothing compared to him, not even close. God can speak one thing at one time and change the entire course of a nation in one word. He can do it. I watched, um, it was a video, and I don't know how true it is, but it seemed kind of interesting, kind of goes along with it. But they were doing um, the, the um, I guess it was uh, the French Revolution. So if you're familiar with the French Revolution, you know, you know they were killing everybody. Again, blood, right? And um, they took a bunch of nuns, and they were going to, they executed them. But the nuns never spoke against them. And they operated in such a, like, in the spirit so much so. And when they spoke at the end, they, I think that each of them, either they sang a song or they spoke something and they forgave everyone. They executed them. And within two months, the French Revolution ended. Just because of those nuns. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is that it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot of God's power to stop massive amounts of work that the devil does. Yes. He will work for years, maybe decades and centuries, and one of just one of God's sons comes in and goes, "Nope." And it's over. <laughs> so as so, so you know, he likes to build himself up, Satan does, you know, to make himself seem bigger than he really is. And he can do some massive damage, especially if he's got people to trade with. But you know what's going to happen? He'll have no one to trade with. In the future, no one's going to trade with him. No one's going to trade with them. No one. They'll be like, hey, I, I, I want to trade in some blood. I want to trade in some. Uh, and everyone will be like, no, thanks. I'm good. And, and it'll be like he's not there. Because <laughs> no one will want to work with him. 
You know, when someone gets a bad reputation in business, nobody wants to work with them. Well, guess who has a really bad reputation in the spirit? The devil. <laughs> the only reason people still work with him is because he convinces them that he doesn't exist. <laughs> but he's got the worst reputation. So once you see, you don't want to deal with him. Don't trade with him. Don't trade there. You know, now you got to be humble because he likes that pride angle, boy. He loves the pride angle. Because remember, he was filled with pride, right? He can see it coming a mile away because that's his thing. You want reputation. You want this. You want people to give you this. You want people like, well, it's about money. It's not always money. Sometimes it's just about people knowing your name, people knowing who you are, and you're getting accolades and all this kind of stuff. And what did Jesus say? A man of no reputation, a low reputation. He went to Nazareth, Jesus did. And they were like, this is Mary's son. I'm not listening to him. He, had, he didn't have even in his own hometown. You see, it's low. If you hear that happening, you should be happy. <laughs> because you're like, hey, that happened to Jesus too. Anytime you have something happen to you that happened to Jesus, you should be very happy about that. You know, even if it was negative. <laughs> because that's what they did to Jesus. You know, and I don't know. It's a thing you grow into. I guess, it, you know, not everybody's comfortable with that right now, but you, you will be eventually. The more that you spend time with him, the more that you realize, because it's not a big deal to him. You know, anything that's a temporary, like, let's say, um, persecutions, things like that, you know, they're temporary. There's some places in the world that if you are a Christian, they will put you in prison. You have to be quiet. You have to be careful what you say in public or not. Like they're trying to do here in America, like even these broadcasts, I do a broadcast. I say certain things about Jesus. I say certain things about like China. If I say China or anything about like that, they'll start to, they'll ban me on the internet. I even, even these recordings that I do right now, they, they take them and they close caption them and they feed them into a system. And, um, you know, so I post this on, certain places, but none other ones I don't. But I know they feed it all in. They have systems and they feed the whole thing in. And then they read them all and they, they put stuff in. And then if they feel like um, you've said something against the co a communist country, because it's communism, they'll take you, they'll take down your, your videos. And they've done that to me before. Yeah, so, so we have to understand. So what is that called? That's persecution. All right, well, good. You wear that like a badge, you know? Rock on. You just keep going. You make some adjustments. You do what you got to do, you know, but you realize that's persecution. Why is it persecution? Because they don't want the truth known. They don't want people to know that when they're dealing in blood and they're on these lower level trading platforms, that this is not good and that there's a better way to trade in the heavenly realms, in God, in him. You know, so what are we trading for? Jesus said, you know, Given it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, woman, give to you. And what was he talking about? Love. <laughs> he was talking about love. When you give love, you get it back. And you don't just get the same amount you gave, you give even more. You know, so so let's look at this again. So you're so so what a perfect partner to me. And now look in verse 13. Your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. This is a natural progression for us. We just have fruit. That's us. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I'm near you, I smell aromas of... The now remember, this is Jesus talking to us. This... And, and, so this is good. When I'm near you, I smell aromas of the finest spice... For many clusters of my exquisite fruit now grow within your inner garden. Here are the nine. How many fruit of the Spirit are there? Nine. Pomegranates of passion, henna from heaven, spikenyard so sweet, saffron shining, fragrant calamus from the cross, sacred cinnamon, branches of scented woods, myrrh like tears from a tree and aloe as eagles ascending. Your life flows into mine, pure as a garden spring. A well of living water springs up for within you like a mountain brook flowing into my heart. This is God's words to us. We should take them to heart. When we think about ourselves, and you think about yourself like this, think about yourself, God is framing us out in his words. His words are framing us. You see? It's his words. It's what he thinks about us. So it, no matter what we think about ourselves, it's inferior to what he thinks about us. So we just kind of go up to the higher place. 
go up to the higher perspective of who am I in Christ? You know, people will say silly things, and you listen to them, and you're like, yeah, that's not how that works. But you don't have to even say it to them sometimes, because then they just argue with you. But you just be like, okay, you know, that's interesting. You just leave it there. You don't have to get into it with them. But people say things about themselves. They say might say things about you if they're bold enough, you know. But you just say, that's okay. You don't know me. That's what you say to yourself. But God does. He says wonderful things about me. Now, if I'm not, like, in my garden and I've decided to, like, trade in the lower realm and I'm being real nasty to everybody, well, I mean, obviously that's not this scripture. <laughs> <laughs> so we just kind of say, okay, what about people that aren't doing this, Jamin? Well, stop. <laughs> just stop that. Because why identify with that? You know, one of the things, like, for example, like for guys, I think this is more guys than girls, but sometimes girls too, anger. And I've talked about this before, but, but anger makes you feel empowered, but it's a false empowerment. You aren't really empowered in anger. The scripture says that the anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. So some of this stuff that we're seeing where I'm angry at the devil. Well, uh, do you need to be, you know, like that kind of anger? And a lot of times anger is very destructive. It's not constructive. Like something's broken. I'm going to be angry. Well, guess what? Now it's more broken. <laughs> Everybody deals with that. That's a lower realm thing. That's not giving you power it's not always easy things aren't going our way i understand that happens to me things aren't going my way today i want them to go my way but they're not how am i going to respond oh woe is me self-pity not great you know jesse duplantis said self-pity is is a part is a, a pity party is a party with with beings from the pit of hell <laughs> it's a pity party so don't have a pity party some people will respond with anger oh i'm gonna yell and get mad and do things you know anger also it's a terrible way to interact with things so what do we do when things don't go our way well we go to the lord say god this isn't going my way i mean use your words <laughs> as they say use your words God, this isn't going my way, and I'm very frustrated right now that this isn't working the way I want it to. Yep, can you help me? I'm going to just rest now, and just I'm going to just expect that you're going to help me, and then I'm going to be quiet. Yep, you got, you got, I mean, listen, I am at, like everybody, I'm saying it, but I know you have to do it too, and doing it is not as easy as saying it. It is easy to say it. You know, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be frustrated. You know, start by saying those things over yourself. A lot of habits that we're in, we develop those habits. Negative ones, we developed. You didn't do that naturally. You developed it. Watch little babies. They develop bad habits. You can watch them do it. I, I'm angry. I'm going to scream until my face is red until mommy comes over here. You know, that's a habit. And what do you do as a parent? You unteach them that. That's not how you get mommy and daddy to respond to you. You see, you need to train your, your soul, but you train your soul by the spirit. You don't train the soul with the soul. So this is why you come, become aware of the garden. You go into the garden, you be quiet in your soul, and then you allow your spirit to train your soul the correct way to handle that, thing, that situation. Um, you can be so filled with the spirit that you just respond out of the spirit with most stuff just because you're just completely gone you're in the spirit <laughs> so that happens that's a good thing too um because your soul just has no outworking in that realm at all you just kind of let that it's kind of riding along like a passenger um so anyway that's a thing too but anyway i'm just talking on a little of this so so in this garden with god this is where we are so his life and our life are one his life in our life, are one life. You now have one life together. You're not separated from him. His life is your life. Okay? He enjoys your presence as much as you enjoy his presence. Becoming aware of his presence and recognizing that he's aware of your presence. Not bad. That's what I call um, a starting spot. Say, how do you pray? 
start in a place like that. That's a good starting spot. I'm aware of him. He's aware of me. I'm aware that my life flows into his life and our lives are now one. I am one spirit with the Lord. Okay, I'm becoming aware of that. So now that thought just sits and I'm pondering the mystery. Okay, and then and then allowing that to kind of almost like allowing that to overcome me. You see what I'm saying? It is a overcoming thought. That very thought itself is humongous. And allow, don't people do this with fear, anxiety, worry? Don't they do that? They allow it to overcome them. People have panic attacks. They have been so overwhelmed and so overcome with the spirit of fear that it actually begins to manifest and they begin to move inside of that spirit. And now it's an attack. What? So why are we doing that? Why don't we move in him? Why don't we get outside of that realm of fear and all of that and get into the spirit? But it comes through the knowledge of something. It's the knowledge of his love towards me. It's the knowledge that he's holding me in his hand. There's certain things in this world that are inside of time, and they're not done yet. It's still baking, people. <laughs> okay? Stop trying to pull that thing out of the oven. It's still in the oven. Let the heat of the love of God keep that thing going until it's baked into what it's going to be. God knows the right time. There's certain things are the wrong time, certain things are the right time, but God knows the right time. And if since he knows the right time, you ask him and he'll tell you when to pull that thing out of the oven. But people get nervous when it's in transition. Listen, the dough is still gooey. Well, it hasn't been baking long enough. Put a toothpick in it. It's not ready yet. Allow God to work through you inside of time so that you can discover the mystery of the beauty of the thing that he's made together. Because you remember what it was like before, and now you're going to remember what it was like after. If it all happened at the same time, you wouldn't have remembered what it was like before because there would have been no before. There has to be a before, a current, and an after in order to fully enjoy the process. You know? So this is what God does in our garden. We have fruit growing. He cultivated the fruit through time, and now there it is, beautiful in his sight. You know? So there's, there's so much more here, but it's 1230, so I'll stop, and I think we're good. So, But anyway, so just ponder the mystery of, of God. Yeah, ponder him. Ponder, like, think about him. Think about how much he loves us. And then find, like, if you need to, look at this scripture. If you need to, my darling bride, my private paradise fastened to my heart, a secret spring. You know, think about those springs. You, visualize. It's okay to visualize. You're allowed to visualize God. You're allowed to visualize the things that he's put. Look at these fruit that he talks about. Pomegranates, henna. You know, visualize those in your heart. Saffron, calamus. Cinnamon, wood, branches of scented wood. You know, these are things that are there in, our, in the secret garden of our heart. God wants us to know about these mysteries. So as you ponder the Lord, as you think about the mysteries of God, don't be surprised if you see something, a vision of some kind. Maybe Jesus himself. Maybe some place in your garden you've never seen before. As you practice seeing God in your heart and seeing that garden that he's put there, There'd be so much more. I really believe that most of what we're teaching in churches and stuff, if we would teach this kind of thing, this mystery of being in him, a lot of the things that they're trying to fix in people's lives would automatically be fixed because they would know who they are. We're trying to fix somebody as if they're broken and we have to go fix them instead of realizing who they really are and realize that all this broken stuff is basically living out of a false identity and then comparing yourself with other people. Why would you even bother doing that? Does trees compare themselves with other trees? No. You know, you don't even, this is not natural to compare yourself. The only person we should be looking at is to Christ himself and not as comparing, but as a mirror, the Bible says. Look at him as a mirror. Whatever you see him do, when his arm moves, your arm moves. You're like, look at us. We're all in perfect unison. <laughs> we work together, you know? It's like, peekaboo. <laughs> so... So live that life on the inside. Live your life on the inside. And remember that it's secret. It's private. It's hidden. Okay? No one can see that. And guess what? The Bible says that you are hidden in him. If you're hidden, guess what? No one can get to you. Because you're protected in his hand.
and you're hidden from harm and from danger. You see what I'm saying? So see yourself hidden in Christ. Be like, where's Jamin? I can't see him. Where'd he go? He's hidden. He's so far deep down inside of Christ. It, nobody, no, no evil spirit wants to go there. That's super scary to them. They would never want to go close to something like that. Because when you're in that inner part, in that inner part of your heart, where, where, where your union with Christ is, where you and he are one, that's super powerful there. In the Old Testament, that was called the Holy of Holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant was there, and the glory of God rested on top of that. That's what's in your heart. That's what's in your heart. A beautiful place, a beautiful home, he said. A garden in your heart, like that song that we sang today. He's made a beautiful home and a beautiful garden in our heart that we can walk in, that we can be in, and we can leave behind all the old ideas that we had about ourselves and realize that we are complete in him. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us this beautiful garden in our heart, this place that is a place of rest, a place of peace. Father, I just thank you that you're showing us a way that we can live our lives from this place. We can live in the, in the, in the normal everyday life, in our routine day. We can live out of that garden of our hearts where we are one spirit with you, where you have brought us in close to your heart. So we thank you today. We thank you for all of your goodness. We thank you for the sweet spirit that you've given us, cleansing us, making us whole. We just thank you for that. And we thank you that we are one with you. In Jesus' name, amen.